This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where we talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Monica Attard. This edition, we have a special guest, Ulrich Hagerup, who is the founder and the CEO of the Constructive Journalism Institute. He is also the former executive director of DR News and editor-in-chief, and that's in Denmark. So, okay, loyal Fourth Estate listener, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you find the news depressing? With coronavirus about to go out of control around the world, stock markets crashing and a US president almost denying that his nation even faces any threat from this virus, is your anxiety going through the roof? And then let me ask you an even harder question. Do your news sources help you to be an informed and empowered member of society? Well, if those questions gave you a moment of pause... This edition of Fourth Estate may be the good news story that you've been looking for because the Constructive Journalism Institute is at the forefront of a new movement called, guess it, Constructive Journalism. So what's that? And to tell us what our journos have been doing wrong, I'm pleased to say that Ulrich Huggerup is welcomed to Fourth Estate. Thank you for inviting. Now, you've been here for a couple of days um, in Australia, and I'm assuming that you've had a little bit of time to look at our news media. Mm -hmm. What are your initial thoughts before we delve deeper? Uh, I think you have a great country. I don't always think that that is reflected in the news here. Uh, I think even in so-called quality, serious news media, there's a tendency to use tabloid storytelling techniques in order to grab the attention of people. Mm -hmm. And actually, I see that a bit more here than I see uh, elsewhere. And what do you put that down to? You mean why? Yeah. I don't. I think, I think the competition for attention here is very high. Mm -hmm. I think the media attention is very high. I think there's the huge conflict culture in your political environment. And I think uh, it's not necessarily good for uh, addressing... Uh, the real issues, maybe. Mm. So if, as far as you're concerned, it's more a factor of uh, available audience rather than anything inherent in our media? I think you experience the same thing as uh, everywhere else in the in the digital media world where it's so easy to measure everything. Mm -hmm. And there's a truth, I think, in the fact that if you cannot measure what is really important which might be glue the country together, make sure that you enlighten people and they know more about not only themselves, but other, other people who do not like, is like themselves, how the place in the world, give it the facts right. and right. If you can't really measure that, because how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Then what you can measure will be important. And what can we measure easily? 
How many click on this? Yeah. How many view it? Yeah. Uh, does it convert into something? How many share it on social media? And, and if we don't take care, and I don't think we have to enough degree, uh, that will be what is important for us. And have you observed in your time here uh, the the proliferation um, and exacerbation of that was, that was very, very nice words. A Danish guy would not understand what that means. Well, that ha- mean? have you observed in your time here the uh, the number, the increased number of um, reports that seem to be more opinion-based, so advocacy journalism? Is that sure, something that you've sure. noticed? <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, more pronounced here than, than in Denmark, for example? Uh, yeah, a, li- a little, but not more, much more than in Britain. Uh, but in Britain, they have the best and the worst journalism in the world anyway. Mm. I think uh, there's a lot of news which is actually just views. Mm. It's uh, so easy. You see it in the United States where and I be, I'm there quite often. I love America, but I get so depressed when I'm there because I now see families who can't speak together before. Again, uh, because they have completely different views about reality depending on which media they supply to, which kind of truth yeah. they supri- subscribe to, whether they get the information from Fox News and the likes or they get it from CNN, which almost do the opposite of Fox. And do you think that would be any different if Donald Trump were not the president? I don't think it's a matter of Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump was a product of that. I think that Donald Trump, better than maybe any politician in the world, really understood how to play media, mm. angling all his stories on drama and conflict, crooks and victims. And he was being overexposed because he knew about that. And he was he created a freak show. And he was being overexposed. Actually, numbers say he got exposure for free, which is which you normally don't do in the United States. Yes, you spend your money on advertising, right? Mm. But he didn't have to spend a dime in the presidential election because we did the job for him. Yes. 1.9 billion US dollars he got free exposure for. Because why? Because he talked into our news criteria. He created drama. He created conflict. But do, but do you see that as a failure of journalism or just the uncanny, uh, very, very smart workings of a mind like Donald Trump's, of a salesman like Donald Trump? Yeah, we see we see it a lot of places. We have seen it in Great Britain with Brexit, which was not a result of a really nuanced debate in the media and the public uh, about the pros and cons of Britain being in or outside EU, but was a... Uh, a fight of slogans and perceptions give us give us our country back. Mm. Who stole it? Mm. Um, but but it's it's a matter of people make decisions based on perceptions, not about facts. And journalists uh, tend to talk in slogans too, and they they tend to repeat things that have been uh, already published. So there's a kind of automatic transfer of information that's often unquestioned. Is it the same where you come from? Yeah, to some degree, but I mean. Um, I, I'm also a really an optimist, but in order to be an optimist, you also have to be a realist first, and then you have to also to see where the where the hopes is, uh, hopes are. Mm. And I do see hope in Denmark. I saw it in the 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 election we just had last uh, mm-hmm. summer, uh, our summer in June. Um, it was much better media coverage, much more responsible coverage than we had in the previous. Uh, and why was that? I think we we have been su- successful in uh, among editors, uh, journalists having a better discussion about 
what are we actually doing? Are we are we doing something wrong here? Are we giving free airtime to loonies to something extreme? Um, do we do we have to use words from warfare each time we have a new program? Crossfire, hard talk, yeah. duels, yes. all that. Can <laughs> we do? Can we have other political debates than the debates with the blue corner, red corner, where we do split screens? So it seems for people that they stand nose to nose and shout at each but other. But why the change? I mean, w- was that demanded by the, the public? Uh, yes, but. Normally we don't care because we know best and they're just stupid. Yeah. Uh, but I think people could people people, and when I talk about people, I mean media people, uh, have realized in our country that you could see the numbers. I mean, people hate programs where politicians yell at each other. Mm. Which was a shame because that was all we did. So maybe we should find new concepts. Mm. Where we may, maybe we should find new ways of ad, of I mean basically change the incentive structures for politicians so they don't only get into the news if they hammer on someone else, criticize somebody, shout or extreme. Maybe we should give find program formats where we encourage doubt, people who shut up and listen who behave well, who are authentic, who have ideas. It's a very critical question to ask a politician. Not the question, who's to blame for this? And then they will always say it's somebody else. Yeah. But say, that was not what I asked. I said, do you have an idea how to solve the problem? Hmm. And if you don't have an idea, listen here, we have been to our neighboring country and they had the same problem two years ago. Look what they did. They actually solved it. Do you like that idea? If you don't, do you have another idea? And so do you think that our media here in Australia does that to a sufficient extent in the limited time that you've been here and been able to observe? No, I don't think so, to be honest. But I have experienced, uh, to my extreme joy, a very big um, self-recognition from both editors and journalists saying, we realize something's wrong. We just didn't know how to get out of it. Is there another way? And if you explain them, there's another way. We call it constructive journalism. So tell us what that is. They, just give us an explanation. And then, then they, they, they are very curious and they really want to do it. just came from ABC and talked to them. I was at AAP the other day. We had a, I was in Canberra and talking to a lot of regional reporters the other day. And it's it's really fascinating. A lot of bright people with a – and all of them went into journalism because they wanted to do good for society. Mm. And, they, and they know – to something, maybe we don't if we only paint a black picture of everything. Can I put to you though, and I, I, I do want you to, to define constructive journalism for us, but sure. we first met at a conference the other day that was um, uh, hosted by the Judith Nielsen Institute sure. for Journalism and Ideas. And um, there was you sat on a panel there and you sat on a panel with the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, the uh, essentially the editor-in-chief of the ABC, Gavin Morris, who's head of News and Current Affairs, with the editorial chief essentially of News Limited. Yep. And Lenore Taylor mm. from The Guardian. And what I heard from, I think, almost all of them was, gee, this all sounds great, but we're already doing it. Mm. Were you surprised by that? Did you hear that same message? Yeah, yeah. They, they said that to some degree until some of them, which was Gavin from ABC, said, uh, we all we always say this at conferences. Oh, we do well because we're always being attacked by somebody and then we feel we have to defend ourselves. Mm. But there were also self-recognition there. There are, there are things we need to do better. We need to be more curious. We have a tendency in our profession, also in Australia, that we as journalists, we have the story in our minds before we go out of the building. Mm. We know which 
quotes we want. We want we we, we have the storyboard ready before we leave, which is not really being curious no. because reality might turn out to be different. So I think that was also also on this top level of people a recognition of oh yeah. There are, there are things we could change. But it's not just bad journalism when you set out to cover a story and you've already got the storyboard in your mind and you're just looking for the quotes to slot into a story. I mean, that's just plain bad journalism. If you had good journalism, hmm. where does constructive journalism make that better? Constructive journalism is basically trying to answer the questions that none of us learned in journalism school, which is now what and how. Most of... Journalism is focused on two other things, which is who's to blame, which is investigative journalism, or what has happened, and how much does it cost, and where was it, uh, which is the breaking news part. Um, is that so not what people want to know? Isn't that, isn't that all that people yeah, want to yeah. know? Yeah, so, so constructive journalism is not trying to replace that. It's trying to build on that. It's finishing the circle of breaking and investigative news, because I don't know if you have that, but I spend a lot of my time digging up problems, figuring out who's to blame for it. Could I get them fired? I was a great journalist. I went prizes. I got quotes. And then I jumped onto another problem and another problem and another problem. And in that process, and it was never fake. It was never lies. We don't lie. But I was sometimes maybe not so much interested in whether I gave a true picture, whether that I got my story and so I got to get my appraisal from my colleagues from my boss and from other journalists and other media that should quote it. So there, there, are, there are things that constructive journalism is a way of talking about quality and how can you do it better. Right. By adding to the equation, journalism can also be about tomorrow. It can also be inspirational. It can also ask the question, now what and how? And do you think that social media has made it slightly worse in the sense Much that... Much worse. Okay. It, it, well, tell me, how do you think it's made, it's yeah, made I mean, it worse? I think, I mean, it's it's a very nuanced discussion. I mean, and but but for the first 10 years of the life of social media, we all thought, this is fantastic. This mm. is this is democratic. Great, democratic, it opened up, and it is fantastic. Before, I mean, we were gatekeepers of information to people. People have to... Be nice to journalists in order to get journalists to do their stories so they, they could get some kind of version of that truth out to people. Now everybody has access to tell their own story to everybody all the time from everywhere. And that sounds great. And it is great. But, and there is a but, and it's only for the last one, two, three years we have started realizing, Jesus Christ, how do these people make their money? If we And if it's free, maybe... Maybe we are the product. Maybe maybe they collect so much information about us that do we really want that? And maybe it was not a good idea for traditional news media just to give our content for free to these tech giants in the hope that they then would they would somewhat uh, people would find us. Um, maybe that maybe we have done something strategically very very wrong. Do you think as well, Ulrich, that social media has permitted journalists to turn themselves into brands? Mm. And so, if they don't go along with the way the herd thinks, if they don't go along with the way, you know, a certain tribe of thinkers think, then they lose their followers, they lose their yeah, retweets. Yeah, but you see, you see so many newsrooms now, especially in these breaking news environments online. They never leave the newsroom. Mm. They sit and look on social media and see what gains attraction, and they try that. Yes. I saw this beautiful 
video, which in the beginning I thought it must be a representative of, of, of what's going on all over Australia because you exposed it so much in any media here about these women who started fighting over a little piece of toilet paper. And I thought, wow, it is happening everywhere since they put so much emphasis on that. But was it really so? Was it, or was it just three women who misunderstood something who was maybe stupid or I don't know what it was? But does it happen in Perth and in Kynes well, and as in it turns out, as it turns out, it did. And it spread. It spread yep. to the United States. It spread to the UK. It spread to Japan. There's a what toilet it, paper it, deficit everywhere now with people yeah, yeah, fighting but, over but, it. Yeah, but we, we, don't, we don't fist fight over it, do you? I mean, people, there might be a shortage and, and, and there are a lot of good explanations, but it was just an example that I was just talking to the ABC people. They spent eight minutes about that single episode yeah. and not putting perspective into it, but just talking about this as if people were fighting all over Australia. And the perspective over... would be what? I mean, the, the big story is the coronavirus crisis is really exposing the consequences of uh, globalization about uh, the, the short supply chains uh, we're having. What happens if we depend, we don't have stocks of, of things, we have to wait, we're producing, we produce stuff when it's being ordered, all that, it's being shipped from China or from a factory in the other end of Australia and all that. And that, is, that works fine until a point when people start thinking, lose confident, confidence in that you can actually get this. So there are a lot of things that the coronavirus will tell us and, and maybe that we could also learn from. Yeah. Um, yep. So can I ask you then, on the day that uh, the World Health Organization has declared a pandemic, which yeah. is pretty alarming news, and stock sure. markets have fallen all around the world, and yes. it's pretty dramatic. Yeah. Uh, and people are that now uh, genuinely and probably um, understandably very worried. Yes. Um, do you think that they want to hear about supply chains today? No. What do they want to hear? Now they want to hear directly, get an overview I think they want to know how many people are affected, but also how many people are getting well. Yeah. Um, I think they want to get a nuanced picture and want to get the facts right. They don't want to be lied to. They don't want us to want to think that they, that the authorities or people don't tell them the truth. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's also lessons uh, to be learned on the on the long run. I mean, this will take a long time and it will have massive effects, but. A story that I thought is interesting. Now we we are we have to figure out how how is it to to work remotely on your laptop. Mm. How's that going? What's the what can we learn from this? How much CO two emissions do we actually save by this? Mm. Uh, how much uh, consumer goods do we actually not need? Uh, how can we be closer to our families? How can we, uh, and, and, and what, what can we learn from this uh, crisis, which is so really when crisis? You, when you look back on the, the week that you've been here and observing media, uh, and you see the media, the news media, reporting every new single case mm. of coronavirus, of COVID-19, being uh, diagnosed mm. as though it were headline news in a case of Ebola, mm. um, what have you thought? But it's it's difficult because it is a global crisis. Mm. There are people dying from this, and we haven't seen anything since the plague where it spread so rapidly. And in, in globalized worlds, it's traveled so fast. So this is a new environment for everybody. Um, I think that a situation like that 
also demands uh, fast uh, thinking at the same same time reflections. I mean, maybe we should try not to do. I saw the interview the other day. Really thought, wow, why are they doing that? Spend eight minutes on giving the microphone to some opposition person who either attacked the government for doing too little or too much or too some. But it was it's so easy to 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 use the same narrative we criticize. Um, and of course, we should have a debate about it. But the debate should be about. What are the facts, and what should what do we do about it? How do we live pe- here? And the media's role here is giving people trusted information, give them an overview. Don't scare them if it's not necessary, but tell them where it is. Uh, just like when you cover the bushfire, it was important to keep people informed, but yeah. just as important to tell people where there was no risk anymore because the fire yeah. was out. Yeah. Yeah, but how willing do you think? You know, how easy? I guess is the question. Is that for journalists to do? Given we are so entrenched in the way we report, in the way we conduct ourselves as journalists, and in the journalism we produce, hmm. how it sounds like a pretty big U-turn. Because at the end of the day, what we're used to doing is saying, you know, the old the old adage: if it bleeds, it yeah, leads. Sure. Um, you know, sure. if it's if it's a big story, then that's what we're going to go with. And the more negative. Yeah. And the badder the news, the bigger the story. Yeah, it's, but a pretty, it, it, it's a pretty big mind shift that you're talking about. Yeah, but I think it's a needed mind shift. And if you listen to what people say, there are two groups of people who say it very, very explicitly. explicitly. It's young people. They hate the narrative of us 50-something fat uh, white men. Um, and, and women. And women. And and but 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 it's 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 a very male way of of presenting the world really, and women they don't really like young women. We have lost them. Right. They don't like this kind. So it's not because young people don't care about the world. They just and we have been used in media talking to people, and we have used every new technology to find a new way to talk to people faster or louder or whatever. But maybe we should f- use these kind of technologies to find ways in which we talk with people, engage people, ask them, what do you think we should ask? What do you want to know? How are you doing? Uh, people want to be engaged, especially young people. They want they want to be part. So do you think that's why young people have kind of turned off mainstream media? Yeah, and, sure. and is it the same in Denmark? Yeah, it is. Where do they get their news in Denmark? Same place as you do. Uh, social media. Social media news. And they, uh, sometimes they don't know. I, where do you have that from? I have from Google. What, what do you mean Google? I mean, they don't produce anything. Mm. Uh, but so we, we have to, we have a giant mission also as parents to tell future generations. It is important who you let you, who you let filtering the world for you. Yeah. Who is doing that? And why do they do it? Is it because they is it because they want to make money on you? Is it because they want to persuade you to think that they like they do? Or do they do it because they want to do public good? Mm. There's a huge difference. Mm. And we need it just because it's on Google or on Facebook, it doesn't mean it's you can trust it. It could be, but that depends. Where does it come from? Who has written it? So in Australia, as mainstream media, particularly the ABC, bleeds young audiences, they don't, you know, they've got a real mm-hmm. demographic crisis that mm-hmm. they are trying to deal with. They seem to believe that the answer is to kind of have 
uh, a broadcast organisation that 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 caters for two audiences: their established older audience mm-hmm. and then a younger audience. Is taking what the ABC produces, its journalism, mm. onto platforms that young people use, no, going to bring them back? No, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure that's exactly what ABC News is is trying to do. But it's right that a lot of news organisations struggle with the same thing: mm. take the same story and as as we have done. Uh, newspapers saying okay this internet how we can how can we use that we use that either as a marketing platform to yeah. attract people to our print product or we just use the journalism we produce for the paper and put it online we did that for many years and that didn't work in order to attract new customers mm. i think we we need to listen just as much as we talk so I'll come back to the question that I asked you earlier, how easy or how difficult it will be to get journalists to think in the way that you propose at your institute. If you help journalists remember why they chose not to become lawyers or investment bankers, um, but they decided to spend their life in journalism, why was that? And they remember it was because they wanted to tell important stories to people in order to do good. And then have them reflect on do you do good every day in the way you filter the world? Do they know sometimes they produce something they don't even want to read or watch when they have a, a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can you think that other people want to do that? If, you, if you're a storyteller and you're not really passionate about what you tell, who will listen to it? And that's, that might be part of the problem. I feel, and and that's really, I'm leaving Australia tomorrow with the high hopes because there's a lot of goodwill. There are, there are a lot of great people who really want to do good, who just need help with new ways of thinking, a, a, a little broader mindset, new tools, new concepts of making a debate which is not blue corner, red corner, uh, and who won, but uh, how can we, where's the compromise? What can we do to solve this question? Now okay. what and how? Okay. People get that. So when you've been speaking to these editors who have been uh, open to mm-hmm. your, your suggestions, mm-hmm. um, where do they tell you that they've gone wrong? And do they, do they admit any blame? Y- yeah. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, we all do, and I'm not... S- I am I'm most likely the person who had done most wrong because and that was what I you, you have to admit that's I mean I used the picture if you if you come home from a holiday as a man and you don't dare take off your clothes in, in the bathroom behind closed doors and look in the mirror and take the consequence of you see you keep eating mm-hmm. ice cream and you keep drinking too much beer and as a if you can't see that you you have gained you just continue mm. and you'll end up being fluffy and then you'll end up dying, right? And so we need to be the mirror and we need to not laugh at people but with people about what we do and help them understand that we could we could change, we could do better without violating any of the principles of trustworthy, independent, critical reporting that we all cherish. Do you think that in this era where uh, there is such competition for eyeballs, for people Mm. to read stories and consume news media, when the business models have completely broken down, you'd have Mm. to say, Mm. uh, that, uh, you know, producing that kind of journalism is what is going to get people to click on? Yeah, I mean, it, the, the interesting thing is that the news organization we've been working with, when they start looking at the numbers, which is mainly about engagement and trust level, but also the fact how that, that they find that people actually read news stories that deals with hope, ways out, and 
what we called potential solutions to the problem. People read those stories much more than traditional news stories about a suicide bomb in in, uh, in Sudan or mm-hmm. wherever it is. But do they read uh, those stories? And, 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 and to finish that, mm. it, it's proven they also spend longer time on it. Okay. The truth is that a lot of people, they never read a news story to the end. Yeah. They don't, be, they don't, but they don't spend time on it. They scroll. They find a new thing. There must be more something interesting, especially on their mobile phone. But here they spend more time on it, and they share these constructive stories more on social media than other stories. Can I ask you, though, does that apply to stories where the story does not impact the person reading? So, for example, you know, I would be more inclined today to read to the end a story about the pandemic because it feels mm-hmm. very real to me. It's about to mm. hit me, so I'm concerned and I'm worried. And mm. I can understand what people read to the end of the story sure. in that circumstance. Sure. When, when, when people don't read to the end about a suicide bombing in Yemen or mm. wherever, it doesn't, it doesn't impact them. It's, it, it's not touching them personally. Is mm. that the critical difference? Yeah, of course, journalism that deals with real issues that affect people is, of course, what interests us. Yeah. But we also have to, to do stories on a broader level that's not only about you, but it is about us. Um, but will people read them? Not everybody. But a lot of people are not so selfish as we think. A lot of people, if, we are, we, if we're able to frame it, you can do a story about uh, on the coronavirus, um, and, and now it's implemented in Australia. The other day it wasn't. An idea from South Korea, how do you test people fast enough, use what we have learned from the fast food business, when Donald's drive drive in. Yeah. Uh, so you just stick your arm out the window, somebody takes the blood test, you get it on SMS whether or not you're positive or negative later. I mean, that's an idea because we need to test millions of people now. Hmm. So we need stories like that. Does that affect me? Maybe, but it's a damn good idea. And we can learn from that. And I think a lot of people like these kinds well, of stories. Well, again, I think, that that's a, I think that's not a, a great example because you would expect to be concerned about coronavirus because mm. somehow, in some way, even if broadly speaking and at a distance, it does impact you. But does a bombing in Syria affect you in the same way? And would you read to the end just because at the end of the story or as a part of the story, the journalist wrote about possible diplomatic solutions to the crisis in Syria? Yeah, but don't, don't make it don't make it too complicated. But if if one example I use today, high school students in Denmark they smoke more than they did ten years ago. It's a complete failure of a strategy for several governments. Right. We wanted the first smoke free generation. We didn't. We messed it up. Something went wrong. So we can do that. And we could afford find the, the guy who did something wrong and we maybe we can have him fired, but that's not important. The important thing is how do we fix it mm-hmm. if smoking is really bad for people, also young people, especially young people. So the constructive way is looking to Norway. And despite the fact none of my children smokes, despite the fact I don't smoke, I'm really curious about what, what did they do in Oslo that their numbers for high school students is not 18% as in Denmark, but it's 0.2 or 1.2, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And you can actually, what did they do? They did something different. Mm. They tripled the cost of buying cigarettes and they made a campaign, make it uncool to smoke in Norway, we can show it. And that's inspirational. And that doesn't affect me. Do I care about it? Yes, I do. Do other people care about it? 
damn well they do. And that was Ulrich Hagerup, the founder and the CEO of the Constructive Journalism Institute. He's also the former executive director of the DR News in Denmark. And thank you for listening to The Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and we thank them for their continued support. Make sure you're subscribed to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics and a few things in between. Also, can we ask you to tell your friends about Fourth Estate so we can share this unique insight into our media and body politic. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle there is Fourth Estate AU. And thanks, as always, to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Monica Attard. Thank you for listening. Yeah.